So, Father, we read this as a prayer of truth that is over us. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world. Now we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Father, I pray that you would bind that truth into our hearts today. As we dive deeper into this passage once again, as we've been praying for one another, Holy Spirit, reveal further truth that you would sow into our hearts. Fresh again today, we pray. In your holy name, Amen. 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 Take your seat. Thank you. I think it's just good to um, start with Scripture and start with praying for one another. In particular, based on the subject we're going to look at today. We're going to focus on, on verse 5 and 6 to see if this works out. Yeah, it does. Thank you, boys. Um, that's completely my fault. We're going to focus in on verse 5 and 6. Ian, last week, if you've been on this journey with us, he called it episodes. I started kind of hearing as he started calling that like it was some sort of Star Trek or Star Wars type film. And to be fair, there's great content in each time we do one of these. So it does feel like a movie length of content that we're digesting. And so as we continue on this next episode in Ephesians, we're heading into the back end of election, which is predestination. And in particular, predestined for adoption. These two preachers last week and this week are very intertwined with one another. So if you didn't listen to the preach last week, I just want to say Ian did a phenomenal job unpacking that. And I would so recommend listening to it. Please, even though I'm, I'm kind of following off the back of that, do listen to it because it helps pick up some gaps that I'm not going to be able to cover today in half an hour. And so we need to kind of make sure we understand these verses well. Ian also made sure, and I think every time we preach this, we've, we've kind of semi-apologetic, but truthfully more just to help us say, look, we're taking our time through this. I want to say very lovingly, I'm not apologising for that a single bit. I think it's important that we take through, that we go through Ephesians really well. How we describe it to the youth is sometimes in Bible verses, it's like a meal. The Bible calls it daily bread. Sometimes the Bible gives us verses that are like a chicken nugget of a meal. It's a nice bite-sized, pack the punch, but you can read more. 
Sometimes it's like a tomahawk steak where it's this big meaty feast that you need to keep on chewing on. And Ephesians 1 is like 20 tomahawk steaks packed a punch all together for us to continue to chew on. Which is why we're taking our time. And it's why I'm only going to really look at two verses and truthfully those two verses look at three words. Here's the other thing I want to admit, church, my beloved. I really wrestled with this over the last few weeks. Truth be told, for three weeks, I've been wrestling with this and twice I've got offended by this. And so I'm saying that as a way to kind of just set ourselves up to kind of go, man, we're going to be chewing on this a little bit. And there's going to be stuff that I might say that might feel offensive. No, that Christ wanted to offend us to convict us at times. It, it wasn't to condemn us. But there is truth that we need to unpack that might go, might feel offensive because he loves us. And so there's times that we really need to unpack this well, and it might feel offensive. Truthfully, it's actually deep conviction, deep, beautiful truth that is going to be showered upon us as we understand this. So I want to set this self up to kind of go, this is where we're looking at, especially when we look at this topic of predestination. My aim is for us to get challenged to understand what God is saying, but then to put it to a place of utter awe and reverence of our living God. That's my aim. I know I can't do it. Only the God, only my Lord and Savior can. And so I pray that as he kind of unpacks this, and as I kind of look at this, that we would just fall into a place of going, man, God, you are so good. That's my heart. I think the best way of doing it, especially when we look at these verses in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ and according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he blessed us in the beloved. I believe there's three main questions here. Number one, what is predestination? What is it? Number two, why does predestination matter? And thirdly, what are we predestined for? I think they're quite logical questions for us to ask, but they're, they're ones that we need to kind of cover. So first one, what is predestination? Well, it's actually written across the New Testament that we've got kind of this, this concept of predestination. The Greek word that we get it from is, um, I'm going to try and do it properly, is proizo. Notice the R. Yeah, practice that. Um, proizo. And, and what that basically means is to determine something, to set and plan something. That's what that kind of word looks like. And therefore, it clearly links with election. So election, you are chosen for something, predestination, what you are being chosen for has been predetermined. So they, they completely marry with one another. And with the mentions across the New Testament, and the word that is used in many different translations, it's the same narrative we get. It's one of that few helpful words that across the different translations, predestination is continuously repeated. So we can't avoid it. Let's put it like that. We can't avoid this word. And in fact, over the centuries, as this kind of been written, there's been so many debates about this. So many theological um, debates and theological disagreements, even between denominations, about what does this word actually mean? So clearly, they needed a theological heavyweight to come in today to be able to preach. You're welcome, church. I'm here. <laughs> I completely jest. But, but this, this is just help, helpfully understanding to unpack this topic. So I just want to make it clear, I'm not here to antagonise it, 
But I want to just reflect what the gospel says about what predestination is. And truthfully, it comes down to two main terminologies. It comes down to conditional election to be predestined and unconditional election to be predestined. So conditional election is God chooses people that he foresees will have faith in Christ, i.e. a trigger is made by man, by man's own decision of free will. Come into that definition in a second of free will. Unconditional election is God chooses people that he will save by his divine sovereignty. Now, notice the trigger here. The trigger is man. That, that, that's kind of the trigger for conditional, and, and in particular, man's free will. And so what do we mean by free will? We need to kind of define that. Well, what we've got as context for free will here is man's will is free if he has power of ultimate self-determination. I.e., if man is ultimately responsible for where he is going, therefore he has free will. That, that is our kind of definition of free will in this context. So conditional election is saying that there are a lot of things that can influence your eternity. Location, culture, the Bible, God, all these kind of things. But the fundamental decision about where you're going to go is based on man choosing God. With some enabling of God to determine that end destination. And therefore God's saying, I knew that, therefore you are predestined. Here's my concern with that first terminology. And some flaws that I believe there, there is. Fundamentally, it lies on the reliance of man. The first issue I have is he expects man to be the one to make fundamental decisions based on our work and our choice and for God to submit to them. It's my first issue with conditional election. Second issue I think is it treats God like a scam artist, like a magician where you kind of make choices and God kind of pulls a rabbit out of the hat and goes like, aha, I knew that, like I understood that you were going to do that, gotcha. Like it, it kind of puts God into that position of someone who has already kind of figured out what to do, but allows man to kind of make the choice themselves in that way. Potential gives the leeway of uh, the question, what if people don't make the decision? It gives leeway to that question, which I think is a very dangerous place to be in. Then the third reason is when God chose us, says before time, we were not holy and blameless. Well, I'm going to cover that more in a bit, let that sober in. But we were not holy and blameless. He chose us when we were full of sin. So the trigger of knowing that we were going to be without sin does not align. Doesn't align up with that. It doesn't match with the rest of the biblical story. If our if our decision, if our um Decision is on us, and therefore the definition of free will is about self-determination, i.e. we are free to the choice where we'll end up in eternity, then I don't, believe, I don't agree with that. I don't believe that. And Jesus has made that notion very clear throughout the Gospels. For example, <clears throat> and I'm going to say what Jesus makes it very clear, Matthew 16 Jesus said, Blessed are you, Simon by Jonah, for flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. John 6, Jesus is talking about Judas, and he says, And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. 
1 John 5 verse 1, this entire thing I could have highlighted, but let's make this clear. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. It's clear cut. Jesus makes it very clear that in every single one of these, it has to only be given as a divine revelation that comes only from God. The only way to the Father is through Jesus that you are predestined, pre-chosen for, not a trigger on man. It's been predestined in a DNA. You can only be born of God if it has been preset by God. Therefore, I do not believe conditional election is true. I believe when we're talking about predestination, I do not believe that man has free will in this. That it is God's divine sovereignty of unconditional election that is by his choice, his choosing, that allows us to enter into the Father. That is what I believe predestination is. God's divine sovereignty and divine grace alone. Second question. What does predestination then matter? I mean, if we've defined it and it's written there, why does it actually matter? It's kind of like a concept that is there. Well, I think it has great significance, actually. I think the subject can be so convicting that we end up trying to ask questions ourselves to understand things perfectly. And kind of ask questions about like, well, well what about that person there? Why, why are they not chosen? And, and how, is the, how is the kind of the categories of, of chosen kind of worked into? And, and truthfully, what you end up is, you end up finding yourselves, what other religions are doing is, Finding conditions of, of, of this. Well, you, you limit a certain number. It's only a certain number, and it has to be that qualifying number, and therefore, if it's over that number, sorry, see you later. And, and you start asking these questions about it. But the reality is, if it's a divine, a divine decision by God who belongs to the flock, therefore, we need to submit to his divine authority. I do not believe we have a say in that. What I said about offensive? I think it's beautifully offensive. Right? And I don't I, I believe that I do not have the ability to make myself saved. <clears throat> Who am I in comparison to God? I think Romans 9 kind of helps us really unpack this. If you want to go away and read Romans 9, read it all. Spend five days trying to understand it. And that's not long enough. But like, the, the Romans 9 just really helps us answer this question, in particular, these verses. Basically, the context of here, Paul is writing, saying, what about all these people and stuff that happened before? What about all these different things that God has done? And he kind of lands with this hidden verse in verse 21. It says, has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same love one vessel for honourable use and another for dishonourable use? He's basically the creator. He is the one that determines what happens. And I think this helps us understand two sides of the coin for us to answer of why it matters. Number one, it's that we are sinful and not deserving of anything. I, I think the Bible makes it utterly clear. What we see at creation is God makes humanity who was very good. Humanity that was able not to sin. But at the time of the fall that we get in Genesis 3, 
Humanity falls and becomes those who are not able to not sin. That's where humanity goes to. Those who are not able to not sin. Therefore, our baseline is Romans 3. All have fallen short of the glory of God. And if we think our baseline is anything above that, if we think our baseline is anything more than that, then truthfully, we've let pride come in. All have fallen short of the glory of God, and truthfully, I deserve nothing from him. Second thing is, as I said before, I, I therefore think that we have no say in who is saved or not. It's like a child telling a parent how to drive. It's like a mouse telling a lion how to roar. Oh, little mouse, you have no say in how a lion roars. You, you are incomparable to him. Oh, Charles, how do you know what the clutch pedal is and what the acceleration pedal is and where to turn the steering wheel? You have no say. In the same way, how could we turn to God and try and have a say in who is saved or not? God's divine sovereignty is just to be glorified and lifted high. He is just and fair. Give an example of this, the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah is a great example of God calling someone to do his divine plan and this person basically is going, nah, I'm good. To the point of being literally various different occasions chucked overboard and swallowed up by a great fish. And three days, knee deep in stomach acid in this fish, he then turns and goes, alright, fine, yeah, I'll do your bidding. And even that, when God is, God, you know, the fish spits him out, Jonah goes, God brings mercy and grace to Nineveh by his sovereignty, by based on nothing that they've done. His sovereignty, Jonah then goes, well, I knew you were going to do that. Why are you doing stuff like this? Well, what are you going on about? You've got an example of someone who continues trying to say, God, I want my plan to be seen, not yours. I want my sovereignty to be followed, not yours. And God has made it very clear going, no, Jonah. It's not your choice. It's mine. So therefore, I think this is a very humbling status to be in. Well, when we ask the question, who gets predestined? The answer, truthfully, is who are you to ask? Who are we to ask? But there's beauty in this as well. It's beautiful events. God does predestined people when we don't even deserve it predestination puts more emphasis on the what than the who god takes the initiative to predetermine our destiny as adopted sons part of the family of god it's not like god is predestining people to hell it's god it's the fact that god is reaching to those who are broken reaching to those who need salvation and pulling them out of it and choosing to predestine them to eternity forever through the revelation of his son. So therefore, what arrogance it is for me to ask the question, who are you going to do that to? As I realised, and as I've been diving into this, and I've looked myself, as I've looked at this topic, I've realised more and more how I have done nothing and can do nothing to affect God's choice of me. Philippians describes that all that I have, all that I do is like rubbish. Proverbs describes it as like clanging cymbals. Imagine I go over there to the drum kit and I just start whacking the cymbal as hard as I can. We all would be fed up by that after the first whack. That's 
what it sounds like for God. That, that's what it's like for God's ear to hear us trying to find works and efforts to try and glorify him. I can do nothing for God to choose me. And yet he looked at me and said, you, I choose you. I want you. Oh, how humbling and what a wonderful mystery that is. That God look at me and be like, yeah, you. I choose you. God uses me to do his work. Bless you. God uses me to do his work. And, and the Bible makes it clear. I do take responsibility for, for, my, for what I do. In, in Revelation, it talks about two books. It talks about the book of life and the book of works. And it, and it does talk about the decisions I make. So I do take responsibility for that. But when it comes to the glory of God, I have no position in that. When it comes to the divine sovereignty and choice of God, I have no choice in that. It's God's plan that is over my life. Therefore, the understanding of predestination matters so much because it should force us into a few places. It should force us out of arrogance into humility. Humbled by the blood of the Lamb. She falls us out of uncertainty into absolute divine assurance because it's him that has made the way forward. Yeah. Only him. Nothing I can do affect that. Yeah. It forces out, us out of apathy into evangelism. Yes. Forcing us into mission to spread the good news of Christ to all those who can hear. The harvest is plenty because many need to know that they have been chosen by the living God. Should force us into mission, force us out of lukewarmness, into reverence. You can't really hear something like that, that God has chosen you, and just be like, yeah, yeah, that's cool. What's that with dinner? Should force us out of lukewarmness, into divine reverence of going, you chose me. Should force us out of complacency, into repentance. <coughs> Repenting for when we have turned our eyes away from Jesus. And turning 180 degrees towards him completely. It should help us understand this more and more than ever before. Martin Lloyd Jones, when he talks about this aspect of making sure we we respond to predestination well, he, he writes it like this: a simple way of therefore, a uh, simple way therefore, testing yourself as to whether you are a child of God. And when you have a spiritual mind is to ask whether all this seems to you to be a waste of time or whether you see it, see in it the most wonderful and glorious thing you have ever looked at in your whole life. Truthfully, when we understand that we have been predestined belonging to God, it should force us to recognise how wonderful it is and truthfully, it should force us onto our knees in great wonder and praise. A famous preacher, I think it was Virgin, I'm not going to make a claim that it is, but I remember hearing when talking about predestination, about mission, just driving up um, a heart to, for, for kind of evangelism, he used a phrase like this, if you are predestined, come forward. If you aren't sure, come forward and I'll tell you. Yes. It's a great response to mission. It's what we're doing in cattle services. <laughs> Truth be told, beloved, I, I'm 
not as bothered about gathering our own in the same way for events like that compared to gathering those who do not know Christ and do not know that they are predestined to yeah. For them to be, have the revelation that comes only from God to be brought into the kingdom of God once again. That's why we're doing this stuff. That's why we need to be so bothered about mission in this way. It allows us as well to answer those questions of if life is difficult, what happens in that moment? How do I deal with stuff? But if I know I'm predestined, it means I know I've got certainty. Or as a famous theologian in our connect group said, life is hard, but God is good. And we can lean on that completely. Okay, last question then. What are we predestined for? To say this, it's painted across the New Testament about predestination. Here's the verses to give you context about it. Notice what I love about the topic of predestination is that it doesn't stop with just your predestined. It's predestined for something. We often ask questions, be like, what does predestination mean? Start arguing that. But truthfully, you're predestined for something. And I've tried to paint a picture in these different verses that kind of talks about predestination or chosen, what that kind of means. So, for example, the plans that God has put in front of you, that's been pre made to conform to the image of his son, justified. Oh, boy. I wish we could spend time talking about that. We don't have time. But you are justified. You are to be glorified. That being pre-chosen, predestined, to have inheritance, the same inheritance that Jesus gets, you have inheritance, every spiritual blessing, predestined. To gain wisdom of God. That's remarkable. And in particular for today, adoption. All of this means that I truthfully believe in one saved always saved as well. <laughs> I truly believed in that because it's been preset before. And therefore, as we look at adoption, why does this matter? What does this mean? Well, just as a helpful um, kind of indication, I've been reading this book by Chris Candela, uh, a great, great evangelist. And uh, he adopted a, a daughter um, and he wrote a book or as he kind of walked the step of a, a going adoption himself, how he revealed to him his adoption in Christ. This is a great book, just to unpack adoption. So if you want to read it, it's called The Greatest Secret, How Being God's Children Changes Everything. Fantastic book. And so just to kind of uh, unpack a little bit of that, adoption was God's first plan from the very beginning. In society, we kind of have different ideas of how we become parents, right? So we start off with natural but truthfully, in our eyes and culture, we kind of go IVF, like some, some form of that. And adoption, it feels like a bit of a taboo word or kind of feels like um, third class, whatever. I want to just make this very clear. Adoption is God's first plan. When we get the whole Genesis thing, God isn't shocked about what happens. Ad adoption was not plan B. Adoption is plan A, full stop, nothing else. Adoption is a glorious thing that I think we as Christians should embrace more because it is God's divine plan for our lives. It's a, a, a wonderful thing to make our sons and daughters. In fact, where Paul is writing this in context from the Roman law, adopted children enjoy the same right as the natural children. In fact, adopted children, not just the same right as the natural children, adopted children got the same right as the firstborn. The same rights as basically getting everything. 
i.e. we get the same rights, same blessings, same inheritance as Christ. Through Christ. It's inconceivable that we would... It's inconceivable that God would look at us but with the obligation of giving us the same blessings that he would choose us to become not just followers, not just part of an army, but adopted children belonging to the living God. It's immense gain and necessary loss to be able to do that. The gain is the access to our Father through redemption and forgiveness from what he has pre-made. The losses is our blemishes, our sin, and our orphan status to become adopted children united to the Father. At the core of God's being, he is a father who loves his children. It's the outworking of God's love, something that is immeasurable and beyond knowing of all eternity. That's what you've been predestined for. Adoption, proclaiming as new creation, as a new relationship, as God the Father, as you as sons and daughters of the living God. Adoption, becoming children that were introduced wonderfully into the arms of a father who embraces us. In fact, nay, runs towards us to hold us and to care for us and to be with us. It's phenomenally beautiful. Why? Because you've done nothing to deserve it and yet you are adopted into it. You are chosen to be adopted. <laughs> You are chosen to be redeemed. You are chosen to be justified. You are chosen to have inheritance that only belongs to the living God. You, me, Sanjeev Manitala, deserving of nothing, full of sin, full of blemishes, full of wrath, God looked at me and said, you, come, you're my child. Let me pour my rich mercy over your life and let me give you a new identity. Can we have the band back up as I remind And Beth, is it right you just start playing on the keys and I know you're going to a new song, but. I really feel today it's a call for those who've been predestined but haven't known it to come home. And I really feel today is kind of a moment for us just to kind of get into a place of reverence of what God has done. Let me paint you a picture just as an idea of what I believe it could have been like. Before time began, God looks over and sees people, sees the creation, knowing, foreknowing what's to happen. Sees the sins that they're going to commit, sees the disobedience that's going to happen, sees the times that they're going to reject God, sees the times where they're going to try and do things on their own right, in their own way. And as He looks over humanity, He looks over 
and he stops. I had English kids from an Indian heritage. It goes, you. So Jeev pulled one into our You. I'm going to pour my mercy over you. Because of what my son is going to do on the cross, because of what he needs to do on the cross, I'm going to choose you. And it's not by anything that you have done. You can't earn it, you can't work for it, you can't do anything about it. For I have chosen you, and I have predestined for you to be justified. I predestined you to be brought in as a child of mine. I predestined you to know me. And for all eternity, you will be mine. And we will live together. Every single day, we will live. Because I've chosen you. And he looks out. And he looks at every single one of you. And he says the exact same thing, you. And you, and you, and you, and you. I have chosen you. Truth be told, it can only force us into one place. Either to respond to saying, yeah, I, I want to belong to him. And after belonging to him, it should force us into a knees of great praise to go, God, you chose me. Do you want to stand with me? just want to help us in this time we're going to we're going to end with singing and we're going to end with praise because truth be told I actually don't know any other way to finish this topic I have no idea how else to finish this you know normally you kind of hear preachers going coming into land truthfully I don't I have no other way of doing this without us just praising and lifting up a prayer, a praise of awe and reverence to a living God that looked at you and said, I have chosen you by my divine sovereignty. But there is some of us today that might have heard this message and might have found themselves feeling a little, might be a bit offended, finding it a bit difficult about it because you haven't made a choice to, to kind of say, I will repent and I, and I want to respond to knowing that I'm predestined. And there's a very simple step of doing that. So prayer of sorry, thank you, and please. That Alpha, a great course that helps us unpack who we are, Jesus helps us with. Sorry, Jesus, for how I've lived my life. Thank you that you have chosen me and you've forgiven me. Please help me to live my life full of the Spirit for you every single day. And I feel for some of us, you may have never prayed that prayer before. And if you haven't, I want to really help you in this place to do so. So just now, if you want to close your eyes, wherever you're at, let me pray this prayer. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray this prayer. I'm going to ask you, if you pray this for the first time, just to raise your hand as a physical sign of responding to what has occurred. Here we go. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you that you love me. I'm sorry 
for living a life that is sinful and without you. But I thank you that you have chosen me and you love me. And I ask for your forgiveness knowing that from today I am free. Free to live as a child of God. Please, Holy Spirit, help me to live a life that glorifies you from this day forward till forevermore. Amen. Man, if you keep your eyes shut, if you prayed that prayer for the first time today, then can you just lift up your hand? Just help it for us knowing who's just calling this. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Okay. Beloved, and I use that word appropriately, I just want to lead us into a time of worship. So maybe where you're at, if you feel like you want to respond, you want to come back to your father who predestined you, who chose you, why don't you, why don't you just lift up your hands where you're at now and let, let me pray for us. And then we're going to head into a place of great reverence and praise. Lifting the roof of this building as church, a family knitted in Christ is rejoicing in our living gods. If you want to respond, if you want to be filled by the Spirit, because you get to today, because of what Jesus does, why don't you put your hands up now? Heavenly Father, I thank you that you predestined us by your divine sovereignty to belong to you. That I have done nothing to deserve it, I have done nothing to obtain it, and yet you still did it. And now, as a child of God, I come before you and I say, Holy Spirit, be in this presence. We want to rejoice in you fresh again today for what you have done. Jesus, I come to you as a child and I just say, God, be glorified here. Be lifted high here. We want to worship you for what you have done. What you have done for us. How you have justified us, chosen us, adopted us before all time began. Not because of our efforts, because of who you are. And your great grace and your great mercy that follows me all the days of my life. Because you have predetermined it. And so God, I come before you, we come before you to just say thank you, thank you, thank you. We praise your glorious name fresh again. In your holy name we say. Amen. Let's worship.